Okay, welcome to uh, the first podcast of Optimizing Brains and Bodies. I am Dr. Kristen Allen, and I'm here with Natasha Duarte, and we are going to do a podcast on dealing with depression uh, and or fatigue, trying to differentiate those. So let me introduce Natasha. Natasha Duarte has been a longtime good friend, and um, and she's also the founder of Understanding SIBO. So Natasha, why don't you tell our podcast listeners a little bit about yourself? Oh gosh, Chris, <laughs> I wasn't <laughs> expecting that. <laughs> <laughs> I thought like what you said about me was like what it was going to be said. That's funny. Um, <laughs> um, okay. So um, thanks, Kristen. It's great to be here with you um, from snowy Vermont. And I'm really looking forward to learning more about how you guide your patients through sort of figuring out and sorting out the difference between fatigue and depression and what the, the first steps are if someone feels like they're dealing with these issues. Yeah, awesome. And uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm a naturopathic physician and an acupuncturist. And for the last 12 years, I have been doing non-pharmaceutical treatments for mental health and addiction. So depression, anxiety, um, ADHD, bipolar, sort of that range of things. But really looking at the physiology that underpins um, those conditions and part of why I'm starting this podcast is because um, I'm very frustrated uh, with the medical system in that uh, it seems to be that for mental health they just want to prescribe pills and they're not ruling out other things and so um, I'm hoping to provide some education uh, to people this is not medical advice uh, on um, on a variety of different things, and I recently uh, wrote a blog um, about how the importance of differentiating fatigue from depression. And Natasha is um, uh, we're going to do a podcast. Where this is our first one, as we said, and so I'm going to talk, and Natasha is going to keep me on track and ask me good questions. Uh, so that it's not complete monologue. So I'm just kind of curious, uh, Natasha, as sort of a, a educated layperson, like how much information do you think that you have had or the friends and family have had on uh, that fatigue could be a cause of depression and depression, that, that there's a relationship there? Yeah, until I started working um, with you on the business side of things, I really didn't have any idea that the two were together. I mean, I, I guess intuitively I would think that um, there may be physiological 
causes for fatigue or for depression or I know from personal experience you know like if I'm really tired and sort of burnt out feeling it it sort of merges into you know mild depression or feeling sort of depressed about where I am in my life so it makes sense to me but I from you know just what I hear and see among my community I don't really feel like it's talked about that much yeah and and that's kind of what I I have seen and I think you know because you're you're studying um, you've always been really interested in health and, and studying health um, and that you, it's not in your forefront like how would it be in anybody else's forefront it's you know um, and part of it is, I think that you know, when you look at the statistics, that uh, 33.7 million people suffer from some form of uh, mental health issue. I mean, that's just an enormous number of people. Um, and I see statistics that like women between 40 and 60, about 22% of them are on an antidepressant. I mean, that, that's just a huge number. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, they come into my office and, and I ask them, has anybody, like, looked at your physical health? And they're like, no, I just went into my primary care physician. I said I wasn't feeling very well. They gave me, you know, if they were really good, they gave you something that's called the PHQ-9, which is a way of evaluating depression. And that you get a high enough number, and they're like, "Here's Prozac, or Lexapro, or mm -hmm. whatever the hot drug is," mm -hmm. um, and um, and that's it. And then they're like, "Well, try that for six weeks, and if it doesn't work, come back." And then it doesn't work, and they switch meds, and they switch meds, and the, the, like I see this pattern over and over again. And so for years, I was training mental health professionals to. Um, be more thorough in their requests and their education of their clients. I, I did eight hours of continuing education through an organization called PESI. But I really, uh, through this podcast and the blog and, and educational classes, online classes, I really want to take this to the next level where I'm taking it to people who are helping. Um, they want to help themselves and they want to help others around them. And so this is like, let's just make a community where we're helping each other. And I thought we would just start with fatigue. So what I really encourage people to do when they're, when they're in a place where they're like, I got to do something. I'm not at my best. I don't know why I'm not at my, de my best. My loved ones or peers are asking me if I'm depressed because nobody really asks, are you fatigued? Like, <laughs> have you, <laughs> you know, like. You're looking tired. I, you're, you're looking tired. You're looking tired every day. Um, it just, like you do when, when you, you know, when you come back from a big event and stuff like that, but not day after day, like, it looks like you're, you know, you're missing something. Um, and so I kind of encourage people, when you get to the point where you're going to go to your primary care provider, may that be an MD or a nurse practitioner, and say, I need help, that you go in and you say, I'm fatigued. And don't bring up the word depression at all. 
Because if you look at the literature in, in PubMed, there's all this literature on fatigue, which are very similar symptoms to depression. It's just what label they started doing the research on. And if you go in with fatigue, probably what they're going to do minimally is something called a CBC, which is a complete blood count, which is going to look for overt anemia. Hopefully they'll do a metabolic panel, which looks at kidney and liver function. Uh, and they might do a TSH, uh, which looks at thyroid for hyper or hypothyroidism. And hopefully they will do those, those minimally. But I want to, uh, on the, in the blog, I gave people a list of labs to ask for. Um, and so the CBC, the Comprehensive Metabolic Panel for Overt Anemia, and then the Comprehensive Mo Metabolic Panel, which um, is going to have uh, hopefully a fasting blood glucose. It's worth doing a fasting on this, even though your primary care provider will say it's not really necessary. I think it is. It'll also look at liver and kidney function. I want you to look at those and if they're in the normal range but about to fall off the edge of, of the normal range, ask your doctor about that. And if, and if your doctor or nurse practitioner doesn't give you an answer, maybe if you can, go to a naturopath and ask them about it. Like, you want to be in the middle of the range so that things look normal. CRP measures inflammation. Um, if you have high CRP, you're going to be fatigued and depressed because what that means is there's fire going on in your body and and you're just when it's your CRP is really high you feel like crap and then ferritin is an iron store and it's worth getting done if you're a man or a woman if you're a woman studies show that if it's below 50 you're going to be fatigued and there are a lot of women walking out, walking around who are not overtly anemic, but their ferritins are hovering somewhere around 10, which means they don't have the iron to make dopamine and serotonin, which are neurotransmitters that our brain likes to work at, as well as iron to do lots of other things. It's being, it's being used in red blood cells so that all of our body can be oxygenated, but there's no extra and we need a little extra to get other things done. Hemoglobin A1C is a marker for diabetes, uh, and that is worth getting done because, you know, anywhere, uh, probably 50% of America is pre-diabetic, and if you are pre-diabetic, uh, you are going to not feel optimal, and it's good to know that so that you can start exercising and changing your diet before you become diabetic diabetic because then you're going to have a lot of cognitive problems. Homocysteine is a B vitamin marker that I use and if it's over 12 it increases the risk of depression. And then I think it's always good to know what your lipid panel is and every once in a while I have somebody come in with extremely low cholesterol and when it your people aren't going to die of cardiovascular disease but you can't make hormones um, and so the, and the risk of suicidal ideation goes up. So that's kind of the panel that I have people um, think about doing. So um, Kristen, um, 
you didn't mention adrenals at all. Is that something that you look at for fatigue? I do, and adrenals are really important, and I didn't bring it up in this particular blog because mainly I'm trying to get people to utilize the care that they already have well. And the only people who are really looking at adrenals are naturopathic physicians and some acupuncturists. And if you have access to a naturopathic physician or such a acupuncturist, it's the, they should do it if you go in discussing fatigue. And, and I haven't figured out how, and you can Google around and certainly find people who will educate you on adrenals, but I really want to just um, right now focus on the basics because often if you cover those, you're going to correct the, the adrenals anyway. Okay. Um, because a lot of the adrenal problems are glucose control problems. And so if you're pre-diabetic and your blood glucose is bouncing around and you clean and you start getting exercise and cut back your carbohydrates, your adrenals are going to do better. It's going to take a little longer than if you are doing supplementation, but that's the main driver. So in terms of drivers of adrenal dysfunction, it's stress. Mm -hmm. and too many carbs. And those often go hand in hand, don't they? At least for me. <laughs> when, I, when I'm stressed, I, I want carbs. <laughs> you know, and part of the reason why we, I mean, it's a lot of people shame themselves because on a bad day, they go and, like me, sit down with a half pint of ice cream and mm -hmm. um, eat it. But part of why we are attracted to sugar is that carbohydrates increase serotonin in our brain that tells our lizard brain everything's okay. Mm -hmm. And so we're really trying to just self-soothe. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and it's nice to have a little bit of sugar and then wait 20 minutes and see if your lizard brain still needs to know that everything's okay. Because I don't know about you, but I can get a lot of carbs in in 20 minutes. And then my brain's like, oh yeah, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> where if I can get a little sugar in and then wait, then usually I'm not quite as ready to down the entire pint of ice cream. I can just get a third of it in. Right, right. So uh, what, what other questions come up for you in terms of like, have you ever gone in and asked your doctor to do labs that they wouldn't necessarily have thought about doing or like what what does that yeah that was going to be one of my questions was if, if you found that most doctors are receptive to ordering all these tests I have um, well I'm working with a, a naturopathic doctor now and so I think that's a bit different than an MD a medical doctor um, but even so, I had to ask for certain things to be done and then also be very um, proactive in follow-up in terms of what you yeah. were saying before. Like, okay, so you didn't bring up, you know, my CRP levels, but I'm looking at it that it's at the very high end of a range that's acceptable. Like what does, when do things need to be addressed and when don't they need to be addressed? And, um, and then I did have to specifically ask for some things that I felt were important to have, you know, so we got a baseline, 
Um, and then when I had other tests done, I'm like, well, what about this? I want this tested again to see if, you know, what progress has been made or, you know, if any progress has been made. I haven't had any pushback, but I've had to be a very active partner in my healthcare to, to feel yeah. like I'm getting the information that I think is important. Yeah. And that, and I think the, uh, the, the dynamic you just described is most of the time. Mm -hmm. Most physicians will do it if you're an active participant. Mm -hmm. And part, part of their dilemma, and I really feel bad for primary care physicians, mm -hmm. is that they have about nine minutes to, to see somebody. Mm -hmm. They're under enormous amount of pressure to not over-prescribe labs. And, the, and that pressure comes not only from the insurance companies, but also from the patients who don't want to pay any more for health care. Mm -hmm. and, so, and, they, and they will get yelled at. So for a while, they were uh, one of the things that's not on here is vitamin D. Uh, and part of the reason why it's not on there, which is a good idea, but you can also assume everybody's low in vitamin D unless you're supplementing for that, but the insurance companies flat out won't pay for it anymore. And it's like a $125 test. And the patients get really pissed when they have to cough up an additional $125. And so they're not being very aggressive about laboratory diagnosis because it costs them more time, quite frankly, because either they're going to get pushed back from the insurance company or they're going to get pushed back from the patient. And how do you really have a conversation with a patient of like, so what's your discretionary income going to tolerate in terms of laboratory diagnosis? Can I do $150 worth of laboratory diagnosis that you might have to pay for? Or can I do a thousand dollars worth? You know, and it adds up fast. I mean, every couple of years for the panel that I do, which is a little more robust than this, I go and price it out just because I want to know. But if insurance doesn't pay for it, it's a lot of money. With that in mind, if you would you prioritize the list of of labs that you just gave, or are these all commonly enough covered by insurance that? you should really just push for all of them? Or if you could only do three of them, is there yeah. uh, some hierarchy? I think that these are all common enough that under the diagnosis of fatigue, nothing else, just mm -hmm. fatigue, that these will get done. And some of them are, they should just get done, particularly if you're over 45 or so, they should get done semi-annually, particularly the CBC, the Comprehensive Metabolic Panel, uh, the A1C, and the Lipid Panel. Mm -hmm. So those should get done. The homocysteine, the, the doctor might push back a little on. The ferritin, they should not push back on it at all. And I don't think they should push back on the CRP. But one of the things that, um, if you want to be particularly assertive, and, and you have to do this in a really kind kind of way, is you take this blog and you write it out and you go in. I was in a motor vehicle accident and, and what I've learned about dealing with doctors on a regular basis is that if you go in with a piece of paper of typed all of your symptoms and what, you want, what you're doing for it and what you want to get done and you hand it to them, 
it's a much more efficient uh, appointment because they now have their documentation and they don't have to dialogue with you about it. Mm -hmm. And the other thing you can do is say, here are my symptoms, here's what I'm doing for the fatigue, like I'm getting eight hours of sleep and I'm exercising 10 minutes a day and you know I'm seeing a therapist or I'm not seeing a therapist, but I'm fatigued and I want you to work up fatigue. And here are the labs that, that I would like you to do. And, and you give them a piece of paper and you ask them to do it and if they say no, say, okay, fine, um, you don't have to do the labs, but will you please put this in my chart? Mm -hmm. And then, then they're responsible for the fact that they didn't do the labs, right? And if they really, if they get angry about it, then you probably need another primary care physician, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like, you really want somebody, you know, who's going to uh, facilitate your curiousness, mm -hmm. right? What's interesting to think about is, so we've been talking a bit about the cost of the labs and sort of the, the laboratory diagnosis piece of it for fatigue, but like I don't hear so much, um, you know, sort of in mainstream, the, the conversation about what is the price of just treating fatigue as depression. So, so there's another cost on the other side, right? So because if you have a physiological cause for your fatigue, but it's misdiagnosed as depression and you're just getting antidepressants, that could be a lifelong cost if you think you're never going to be able to get off your antidepressants. Whereas if you're low in iron and you take an iron supplement and your body sort of regains balance, then the problem solved, right? Or is that not right. the way it works? Yeah. No, that's true. And mm -hmm. it's often a mix, but that's part of what prompted this blog that, that I wrote up is that Money Magazine just recently did an article on the cost of mental health and uh, in terms of medications, in terms of seeing providers, the difficulty it is to get therapy to paid for, the you know, like it's a very fractured system and it, and it all ends up in the patient's lap in terms of costs. Mm -hmm. And when they haven't even figured out cause or and, you know, it's usually a split. Like, usually there are some emotional structures that would, you know, people would naturally be depressed or, around or struggling emotionally around, and, and they can probably do with some therapy, some kind of emotional support. But even if, let's say, the fatigue is only 30% of it, like, if you clean up 30%, right, then, you know, if it's 10 out of 10, now you're at a 7, but most people are kind of walking around at a 7, and if you clean up three of those points, you're now at a 4. That's functional. Right. Seven, 7's not very functional, mm -hmm. you know, and so part of what, what I'm hoping to do with the, the blog and the podcasts and, and the connectors groups uh, and some educational groups is like to put this all together so people have the tools for themselves or for their providers so that they can go into their providers and and be more empowered uh, to, to get the care that they need and then for the loved ones around them or their employees or their who they're mentoring or whatever they can say, here's a tool, here's a podcast, here's, you know, I think this is going on. Because 
I talk to so many people who are like, I don't know what to do. You know, we did meds. They're not working. We've tried three meds. They're not working. And nobody's saying, well, maybe there's a physical cause. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's kind of what we're hoping to do. Are there any other questions? Um, I think it's going to be a great tool. I know you also um, work a lot with, with diet and nutrition and the connection there with protein, but that might be a topic for a future podcast. Yes, we're going to have many uh, podcasts on nutrition and working with providers. I love doing summaries, and so I, like, I'm interested, at, as you leave here today, Natasha, and you sat down with a girlfriend who's struggling with something, like what are the two or three take-homes that you, as a connector, would you say mm -hmm. to her? I think the most important one is to not assume it's all sort of in your head, as, as people like to say, but that there may be real physiological reasons for the way you're feeling, um, even when that's not, you know, as something as clear cut as like, oh, I, you know, my shoulder hurts because I fell. It, it may feel like it's more in your head, but there, you know, it could be driven by a physiological factor. So with that in mind, I think that's really super empowering. For, for me and for people I know, because that means that then you have more control over the situation and there could be a really, um, you know, potentially easy, not, not fix, but something that you can do that will help yourself feel better faster or, mm -hmm. or more actually get at the cause as opposed to just treating the symptoms. And that's definitely how I always approach my own healthcare is like, you know, I don't want the Band-Aid approach. I mean, sometimes you need to just feel better um, you need yeah. that pint of ice cream, but uh, but yeah. I think it's great to have a list of of labs that you know, and I that's definitely a list that I would be sharing with people I know as well to who are you know having some issues just to to make sure, and maybe it comes back and all the labs are fine, and but that's an important piece of the puzzle too. Yeah. So great. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks, Yay. Kristen. Have a good day. You too. Bye.